Good evening. Peace talks make progress as Russian forces increase their pressure on and take an important city. We discuss how the peace and justice movement in America should approach the war. Newark sanctions as Russia sanctions a Russian gas station that's not owned by a Russian and a victory for New York City retirees. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. The former cop who shot through a wall killing Breonna Taylor during a 2020 no-knock drug raid in Louisville, Kentucky, was found not guilty of all charges today. We, the jury, found the defendant, Brett Hankison, not guilty of wanton endangerment in the first degree under instruction number four. Brett Hankison was clearly cleared after jurors deliberated for about three hours. Hankison was shaking and visibly relieved after the verdict. Taylor's sister, Junia Palmer, shook her head. Hankison, 45, testified during the trial that he saw a muzzle flash from Taylor's darkened hallway after police burst through the door and thought officers were under heavy fire, so he quickly wheeled around a corner and sprayed 10 bullets, hoping to end the threat. But prosecutors challenged how the cop could have seen anything from where he was standing behind a group of officers using a battering ram on the door. No other testimony put Hankus in the doorway when the shooting occurred. He also testified he saw what he thought was an AR-15 rifle in the apartment, but no long gun was ever found. The prosecutor said nobody got shot with an AR because there never was one. Taylor, a 26-year-old emergency medical technician who had been set, settling down for bed when the officers broke through her door, was shot multiple times and died at the scene. None of the other police on the scene were charged. The killing led to protests, and Brianna Taylor became an international meme representing black people killed by police. In the first apparent progress in peace talks between Russia and Ukraine, the two warring nations agreed to the need for humanitarian corridors to help civilians escape Mo Moscow's eight-day-long invasion. More than one million refugees have flooded the nation as Russian armies uh, have entered the country in an attempt, apparent attempt to topple Ukraine's West-leaning government. While numbers are contested, surely thousands have been killed or wounded over the past eight days. Meanwhile, Russia's President Vladimir Putin spoke to cameras today. He accused Ukraine's defenders of human rights violations, hiding weapons among civilians, and preventing refugees from leaving the country. To treat their own population even worse, they are hiding behind their backs. They are using them as human shields. Our military witnessed such facts as in Donbass, Severodonetsk, Lysychansk and other cities, people from the high risers, they were crowded and then they were broken walls in the lower floors and they were putting their tanks and cannons, putting snipers and machine guns on the roofs. Only fascists use this kind of military tactics. They were inhuman to the local population. And that's when Soviet troops, Soviet forces, tried to liberate the land from their presence. We tried to avoid casualties among civilians. And unfortunately, they are taking casualties as well. And it is our duty to support the families of the dead and wounded brother in arms who were fighting for our safety for the people of Russia. Dear comrades, I would like to say that the special military operation is unfolding according to schedule, according to the plan. All the goals set by us has been achieved. 
And that was President Putin speaking earlier today. Russia's uh, as the war rages, opinions in the West have been molded by the 24-7 coverage of the war with heavy emphasis of potential war crimes by Russian troops and mocking coverage of Putin's mental health. No discussion of the pressures wielded by NATO that may have sparked the crisis that led to the war. The legislative director for Middle East policy for the Friends Committee on National Legislation is Hassan El-Tayab. He says there is... No excuse for the brutal invasion of a neighboring country, but the media has put the emphasis on a country within Europe while omitting coverage of bombing campaigns against countries like Syria and Yemen. To condemn violence, aggression and imperialism wherever it exists, Russia invaded Ukraine, a sovereign country, and is now bombing and killing people. Uh, Now there are a million refugees fleeing into Europe, and this is absolutely atrocious behavior and it needs to be condemned unilaterally the media has covered this 24 7 ever since the invasion about a week ago so we are now seven days approximately into the war on ukraine but we are also seven years into the war on yemen and that that war receives virtually no coverage on the mainstream media so i think this is a really important moment that we stop reflect about how we are approaching these devastating conflicts around the world and try to give some fair and balanced coverage. Now, I'll also say, now, the war in Ukraine, as devastating as it is, there's not a ton that U.S. citizens can directly do to stop the violence. We should double down on our diplomacy, provide humanitarian relief, uh, support the Ukrainian people and you know, as they flee Europe and, and you know, try to relocate them and provide... Uh, some economic stability there. But there's another war we have a lot of leverage over, and that's the war in Yemen. After seven years of U.S.-backed military aid to the Saudi-led coalition, uh, people in the United States, if we focus, you know, one-tenth of the attention that we're focusing on Ukraine, we might have been able to bring an end to U.S. support and compelled Saudi Arabia to stop its airstrikes and blockades. What do you want the BAI listeners to know, what they can do, how they can act on this? What's the best way, in your opinion? The best way right now, folks may have seen this already, uh, Reps Jayapal and DeFazio announced in the nation in February that they were planning to introduce a new Yemen war powers resolution to cut off our military complicity in the Saudi-led war and blockade. And that is going to probably get introduced in the House and and be getting a vote. Uh, You know, it's going to get introduced probably March 25 around there, around the 7th anniversary of the war. And probably going to see a vote in April. So what folks could do is is uh, let their members of Congress know that they support that effort. We've actually set up a, a number that folks can call. It gives you the, the call script and, and it really helps you out. So uh, the number is one eight three three stop war Again, that's one eight three three stop war And, you know, make your voice heard that we stand against authoritarianism no matter where it is, whether it's. Uh, in the streets of Ukraine or in downtown Sana in Yemen. Uh, and we have to stand up together for human rights across the entire globe. Hassan Al-Kayab, he's legislative director for Middle East Policy for the Friends Committee on National Legislation. And political economist, activist, and spokesperson for the Revolutionary Communist Party, Raymond Lada, adds, while United States imperialists started the war by trying to absorb Ukraine into NATO, Russia is no innocent party. 
He says activists should be focusing on exposing the truth of U.S. involvement, but not making the mistake of supporting a rival imperialist power. Russia, for its part, under Putin, is moving to bring back into its bloc a nation, Ukraine, which the U.S. has been aiming to pull fully away and to strengthen its ability to contend with the U.S. imperialists in a world in which the old order, the old division of the world is coming apart. So you see contention between these imperialist powers and the U.S. is doing this in a way to strengthen the NATO alliance, which is an imperialist war alliance. Our interests are not with any of these imperialists, and we have a special responsibility here in the United States to expose and oppose the marauding of U.S. imperialism because it is carrying out its war preparations, its aggression in our name. On the other hand, Russia is not acting in the interest of humanity, but as an imperialist power that's pursuing its agenda to create a pole uh, of contention with U.S. imperialism. The world is undergoing great, great shifts and turbulence. What's happening in the Ukraine is happening at a time when humanity stands at a crossroads. The old order is breaking down. There are deep splits and divisions within the U.S. ruling class. And something very terrible, fascism in the U.S. is possible, but something truly emancipating is also possible. Russia's help of other countries, even though Russia is an imperialist country, because you have to depend on somebody with muscle to help you. That's what's bringing humanity to the brink of catastrophe. No, none of these. These are imperialist powers. You know, these are powers and economies that rest on exploitation, on military intervention, on sweatshop labor throughout the world, on the destruction of the environment that is the product of this pursuit of profit and more profit. So no, we have to oppose all these systems of imperialism, and this is a moment. We can't make revolution anytime. It's true, revolution is needed in the imperialist countries. And right now, in the belly of the beast, there is a rare moment that Bob Avakian has analyzed in his talk, something terrible or something truly emancipating, that there is the possibility um, opening up for us to make revolution. We have to ripen the conditions to do that. This is what we're going to be discussing tomorrow night at the Emergency Forum, War in Ukraine at Revolution Books, 437 Malcolm X Boulevard. That's 7 p.m. We'll be live streamed, and you can just go to the revolutionbooksnyc.org website. But we're going to be talking about this inter-imperialist rivalry and the larger context of the old order being torn apart and the divisions in U.S. society is actually opening up the possibility to make a revolution. Political economist Raymond Lada. He says a forum on the war in Ukraine is being held at Revolution Books, 437 Malcolm X Boulevard, tomorrow at 7 p.m. And more reports from the front. The Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSCE, issued a statement today condemning a missile attack apparently launched by Russian forces that struck near the Ukrainian Holocaust Memorial known as Baba Yard. 
about seven miles from Kiev's city center. It's where, in September 1941, Nazi Germany murdered 34,000 Jews, whose bodies remained buried in a ravine adjacent to an old Jewish cemetery. This attack damaged the memorial erected to the Nazi victims. The OSCE statement reads, The purpose of this war, we are told, is to denazify the Ukrainian leadership. So it's truly tragic and ironic that this site and this monument are among those sites affected by Russian actions. Meanwhile, Ukrainian soldiers and civilians kept up their resistance to the Russian onslaught and the capital, Kiev, and other main cities remained in their hands. Swaths of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second city with one and a half million people have been blasted into rubble. The United Nations said one million people had now fled their homes with most seeking refuge in Poland and other neighbors to the west. The head of USAID, Samantha Powers, visited the border region three days ago where mostly where thousands of mostly women and children attempted to get on board trains. Ukrainian men are required to stay in the country to fight the Russian army. In one case that made headlines, African students were forced from the line to allow Ukrainian refugees to leave first, leading to heart-rending confrontations that shocked the world and fed allegations by Russia that they're fighting far-right extremists in Ukraine. Power says mistakes were made, but she blamed Russian disinformation, too. city is noteworthy. There have been incidents, of course, where third-country nationals have faced harassment or been pushed to the back of the line. And I think it's really important that the Polish government, the Ukrainian government, everybody has come out condemning that. And I, I think for all the chaos of the first few days, there's a much more orderly process now, and, and hopefully we will see no more of those those incidents. And I will note, of course, that um, any incident is a, is a terrible incident and something to be deplored. But you also see the Russian Federation disinformation machine making it seem like this is a very, very widespread phenomenon and that this indicates the Nazism of, of the government and so forth. And I just I can tell you that from the minute we first heard those reports, the response from the Ukrainian authorities was instant in terms of getting those instructions out to border guards, getting it into the chain of command, of course, uh, you know, as, is very important as well. Samantha Powers is the head of USAID. In an article published in the progressive online magazine Alternet, the article is titled, Why Far-Right White Evangelicals Are Among Vladimir Putin's Strongest American Supporters. It reads in part, it turns out Putin has a fan base in America's right-leaning evangelical politicians and pundits. Continuing, at this year's Conservative Political Action Conference, which wrapped up over the weekend, Lauren Witzke, a GOP candidate for the Senate in Delaware, said, here's the deal. Russia is a Christian nationalist nation. They're actually Russian Orthodox. I identify more with Putin's Christian values than I do with Joe Biden. The article continues, in 2014, Putin made the cover of the evangelical magazine Decision in a piece in which evangelist Billy Graham's son, Franklin, lauded his handling of the Winter Olympics and his protection of Christians. Franklin visited Russia in 2015 and ever since has promoted Putin as a godly leader. A few days before the invasion of Ukraine, he asked people to pray for Putin, but not for Ukrainians. And the White House on Thursday knocked down talk of banning Russian oil imports, warning doing so could further spike the already high price of gas for Americans. That came even after... Speaker Nancy Pelosi threw her support behind the idea. Jen Psaki made the statement today. Objective and the president's objective uh, has been to maximize impact on President Putin and Russia while minimizing impact to us and our allies and partners. And I know you've heard me say this a few times before, but we don't have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy. 
uh, and that would raise prices at the gas pump for the American people uh, around the world um, because it would reduce the supply available. And it's as simple as less supply raises prices. Uh, and that is certainly a big factor for the president uh, in this uh, at this moment. It could also, it also has the potential to pad the pockets of President Putin, which is exactly what we are not trying to do. So, uh, as the president has said, we uh, carved out payments for energy trade and transport from our financial sectors sanctions with that in mind. Um, I would also note that we are also take we have been taking steps to uh, degrade Russia's status as a leading energy supplier over time. That includes, of course, shutting down Nord Stream 2 or preventing Nord Stream 2 from operating. That's why we're surging LNG to Europe to help accelerate its diversification from Russian gas. And that was Jen Psaki earlier today. Russia is the world's largest oil exporter, exporting some 5 million barrels of crude per day. About 60 percent of exports are to Europe, with another 20 percent to China. The Biden administration has levied sanctions on major Russian banks, numerous Russian oligarchs and other parts of the Russian economy in a bid to squeeze Putin over his decision to invade Ukraine. But the White House has thus far been reluctant to target the oil and energy sectors, fearful of sending more shockwaves through global markets. And on Thursday, both the United States and Britain announced sanctions on more oligarchs. Those are wealthy Russian tycoons helping bring them in line with measures the European Union took earlier this week. Included was Russian tycoon Alisher Uzmanov, the founder of mining company Metal O Invest in Germany. His luxury yacht worth nearly $600 million was moored at a Hamburg shipyard. Hamburg's economic authority said there were no plans for the vessel to be delivered to its owner without providing further details. The White House said Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov has also been hit with U.S. sanctions. Visa restrictions will be imposed on 19 Russian oligarchs, their family members and associates. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. The Newark City Council voted today to suspend the license of local Luke Oil gas stations and convenience stores uh, using the franchises of an American subsidiary of the Moscow-based oil company Luke Oil to protest the war in Ukraine. Council President Louis Quintana seconded the motion for the resolution, which the council approved 7-0 to zero, with two members absent. The resolution concludes by saying... All existing business licenses for all Lukoil gasoline service stations and associated on-site businesses in the city of Newark are hereby suspended until further action by the city. City Council person Annabel Ramos spoke, as did the owner of a Newark Lukoil gas station, who says he'll have to lay off 16 workers without a license to operate. And today, the city of Newark is standing in solidarity with a number of countries around the world who are supporting democracy who are taking sanctions against the Russian Federation in hopes of stopping uh, this very brutal invasion. As a Luke Oil franchisee and a small business owner, we purchase all our oil from American oil companies. The employees that are hired are all Newark loca- local Newark employees. I'm a U.S. citizen that pays local, federal, and state taxes, and I've been doing that for the last 30 years since I've been in business. Let me be clear when I say that I stand with Ukraine and I'm full in support of Russian sanctions. However, I am baffled and confused how shutting down an American-based small business owner is sending a message to support. I'm just totally baffled. The mayor's press office didn't immediately respond to a request or comment following the resolution's passage today, but he expressed support for the measure the day before. To the other side of America, where a well-known adage in Hawaiian means water is life. 
Native Hawaiians revere water in all its forms as the embodiment of one of the Hawaiian pantheon's four principal gods. The resource is so valuable that to have it in abundance means prosperity. The Hawaiian word for water, why, is repeated in the word for wealth, why, why. So when the Navy confirmed petroleum from one of its fuel tank facilities had leaked into Pearl Harbor's tap water, many Native Hawaiians were not just concerned, they were hurt and offended. Nearly 6,000 people, mostly those living in military housing at or near Joint Base Pearl Harbor, Hickam, got sick after petroleum-laced water came pouring out of their taps. Late last year, residents worry fresh water for broader Wahoo, which is the main island, also is in danger because the aging tank system sits above an aquifer that provides drinking water to most of the island and has a history of leaks. Today, uh, some... Uh, Folks who are associated with the Hawaiian movement to uh, save their water from the military spoke. As a mom, what's going to happen long term to me, my husband and my kids, there was a lot of symptoms that we all had. And now knowing it just makes sense. So uh, bumpy red skin. Um, we had vomiting. I had a whole day of just vomiting. It's not normal. 93,000 residents were affected near military installations as far away as Iroquois Point, and the drinking water of tens of thousands of Honolulu residents remains in peril. But the uh, U.S. Defense Department seems to feel that uh, it's important to have these uh, facilities on the island, and uh, a spokesperson of the Department of Defense had this to say in support of the government's position. We are going to have security commitments in the Indo-Pacific long term, and those security commitments are going to require fuel and sustainment. We got to think about that seriously. We got to make sure that whatever plan we have in place, whatever we do here, we can continue to defend the nation. And that is the situation. We'll be hearing more about that as it uh, develops. Water is very important to the uh, existence of the Hawaiian nation, Hawaiian state. Closer to home here in New York City, it was a uh, important thing that occurred for retired city workers when a judge ruled that a city plan that would uh, kick them into a uh, less effective health care plan, uh, one that uh, doesn't allow them to really choose their own doctors, but uh, allegedly saves the city several billion dollars. A judge ruled that uh, the city just had it wrong, and we spoke to uh, Marianne Pizzatola, who works with retirees here in New York City, on this issue. She had this to say about today's victory. They were automatically enrolling all Medicare-eligible retirees into the program, this new plan. And the only way to get out was to opt out. But by doing so, you were agreeing to pay a newly imposed penalty-type premium to keep the plan that you've had, in some cases, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, on Tuesday, the judge asked the city of New York, hey, you know, what is the benchmark? What is the cap of the HMO cap? And he said, oh, it's $776, said the city. The judge said, okay, second question, is the GHI plan, the Medigap plan that most retirees have, is that under the cap? And, and the city said, yes, sir, it is. Thank you very much, Judge said. Have a nice day. Well, then yesterday, that was Wednesday, the city decided to walk back its answer and pretend like it didn't understand the definition of what the, what the judge asked and said, oh, well, the rate for the new Medicare Advantage plan is $7.50 a month. 
So as long as any plan is over seven fifty, seven dollars and fifty cents, you'd have to pay for it. Where the heck do you get seven dollars and fifty cents? Like nothing, seven dollars and fifty cents. The attorneys very quickly had to write a reply, and it got filed early this morning. The judge rendered his decision today in favor of the retirees, and basically what he said was, as long as the benchmark, the plan that the cities are offering is under the benchmark, then the city has to pay for it. What does that mean for our listeners as far as their insurance plans? This affects every city, New York City retiree that was a municipal retiree, i.e. you work for the city of New York. And what it means is that going forward, you have the choice of either staying in or opting out of the Medicare Advantage plan. And if you choose to stay in your current health plan that was offered by the city, the city can't charge you to stay in that plan as long as the rate is under the cap, period. What about this argument that the mayors made? I forget which one. Maybe it was de Blasio that... uh, Oh, you people just want to get covered for everything. You just like <laughs> complain about everything. Complainers. No, no. See, what happened is, is a municipal employee, when you became an employee in the city of New York, you knew that you were not going to be making a salary like your private counterparts because your your benefits were going to be better. We knew that. We knew you'd have the pension. We knew we would have deferred comp. We knew that we would have health insurance. We knew we'd have all of these things, union prescription coverage. We knew. And that, and we knew at the time of employment, because, of course, it was advertised in our documents, you know, to, to advertise for our jobs, that you would have this health insurance for you and your family till your death, because that's what most of our summary plan descriptions actually state. You will have the health employment, health coverage in your retirement that you had as an employee until you die. Can't get any more blunt than that. So I didn't mind taking a reduced income salary because I figured, you know what, I may not make a hundred thousand dollars working working for the fire department in New York City, uh, you know, on the street. Uh, whereas my private ho- private ambulance or private hospital workers might make more money, but I've got the benefits that they don't have, and my future is more important. I know I'm young. I can work overtime. I can work two jobs. I'm good with that. And you also wanted stability. A civil service job is golden. You didn't have to worry that you'd be laid off because of the susceptibility of the, uh, uh, you know, of the economy. So that was a protection you wanted. So we're not complaining. We we only want what we were owed. We know what we were owed. Clearly, so did the judge because we remember these laws were in place. Our contracts were in place. We had documents from our unions, documents from the city. History repeats itself. You you, you don't screw with a retiree. That they did this purposely. This was predicated on the backs of a retired person so that they can fund active union raises and contract increases. That's ugly. Marianne Pizzatola is New York City organized. She's the head of New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. And that's some of the news for Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.